if you can have uh, a book of Philemon open, and again, that's on page 1060. Um, we're going to have a look at the last uh, two, three verses, really, 23 to 25. Uh, and as you're finding that, I don't know whether you were the one that uh, had the responsibility of cooking the Christmas dinner. Fortunately, that never falls to me so far. Um, but it's a real stressful time, isn't it, in terms of the expectation that there is that uh, this will be the best turkey ever and these will be the most perfectly cooked Brussels sprouts ever. Um, and, uh, you know, there's so much pressure placed on the person cooking and the expectations that there are. And it's often the way in life, isn't it, that we have expectations of one another and uh, people who are put in uh, positions of responsibility sort of face the weight of those expectations. And it's so easy to feel that we've let people down or that they've let us down. And that's really what we're going to look at uh, today as we finish off this book is just the whole issue of, uh, of the expectations that we have on one another and uh, what we do when we feel let down or that we've let someone else down because it is going to happen. Uh, you cannot be in a family, you cannot be close to people uh, without uh, feeling that you've somehow not met their expectations or that maybe they've let you down. <clears throat> and uh, as we've been looking at the book of Philemon, uh, you remember this is a book written to a certain person uh, in the church in Colossae who was quite a rich uh, man who had a family and uh, one of his servants, uh, his slaves, had run away, Onesimus, and uh, we think had stolen some money. And uh, Paul was writing this letter to try and bring a reconciliation between the runaway slave and his master because he's actually written another book as well, the book of Colossians, which he was sending to the church there. And it's believed by many that actually these two letters were probably written at the same time when Paul was in prison in Rome and were probably sent at the same time. So you've got one book that is a general book to the church, but also a book that is a specific uh, book. And the reason that uh, maybe that book was written was because actually one of the people that was taking the letter to the Colossians was Onesimus himself. And you see that in Colossians 4, 7-9. It says that Tychicus... A beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts with Onesimus, a faithful brother, beloved brother, who is one of you. They will make known to you all things which are happening here. So it looks like you've got this situation where Paul is sending the two uh, people with these two letters uh, back to the church in Colossae, and one of the issues that he wants to address is the fact that one of them is a runaway slave. And there's, uh, if you look at the two letters, there's lots of the same people that seem to be mentioned in the two letters. And as happens in a lot of Paul's letters, uh, the letter might be written from him or him and uh, Timothy, but actually he sends greetings from other people that might know the people in the church that he's sending the letter to. So in Philemon, you'll see in these last three verses... There are um, some people mentioned here that he's sending greetings that actually the people in Colossae know and also are mentioned in the other letter. So if we look at verses 23 to 25, uh, 25 it says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow labourers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And it's very easy when you kind of get to the end of the letter just to think, well, you know, that's just nice. There's nothing uh, for us in there. It's just a mention of people that we've never met and, uh, you know, we don't really know who they are or it's just a kind of greeting at the end of the letter. But actually, uh, these, these people do uh, crop up in other 
places, um, especially in Colossians, but also you'll see in the book of Acts. So I thought it'd be good to finish the letter just by having a look at some of the people that were with Paul at this time, and also what we might learn from them as people. Because at the end of the day, yes, this is a letter of, uh, of um, there is doctrine and there's theology and there's a lot we can learn from it, but it's a very practical letter. And again, it's wonderful that the Bible is not just about that deep theology and the deep truths of the gospel and the hope that we have in the future. Wonderful that that is and encouraging that that is and useful that that is for us now. But it's also very practical because the early church uh, where these letters come from was a a place where people were trying to uh, find out what it means to be Christians living to the glory of God just as we are. So the first person that we come across there is Epaphras. And uh, we know that he was from Colossae. And uh, we actually know that the, the Colossians learned the gospel from him. So for them, he was a very important person in their Christian walk. And we learn that from Colossians 1, 3 to 8. Uh, Paul says, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as it is also cut also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. So we don't know all the details, but what we do know is that uh, Colossae was a place where Epaphras was from, and it was from them that they learned the gospel. And then somehow uh, he's ended up with Paul in Rome. We don't know the details of that. But what we do know is that he still has a concern for his friends and for the church back in Colossae. And that you'll find in Colossians 4, 12 to 13. Paul says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. So this is somebody who, yes, he has physically left the original church, the original work that he was doing, and he's now with Paul in Rome, but he's not left those people in his heart. You see, actually, that this is someone who is incredibly faithful to those people, he hasn't just said, oh, well, you know, well, that was back then and I've moved on now and, you know, I'm wonderfully with the Apostle Paul in, in, in Rome, look at me. Uh, actually, no, he's spending a lot of time uh, praying for those brothers and sisters back in his church. So what we can see is that he is an example of, uh, of a brother who is faithful to the gospel and faithful to his brothers and sisters, even though he's moved on and not with them anymore. And uh, just in the short time I've been here at the church, I've really seen that in the prayer meetings here is that we pray a lot for other people and that might be that uh, the, the churches that people have come from their sort of home churches and before they move to Cornwall or it might be churches that we have uh, that we know the pastors there or we know people there and isn't it wonderful that we know that other people are doing that for us that actually we're not so sort of focused on what we're doing that we forget everybody else and actually to be faithful to one another it's really important that we don't lose that that we still pray for and, uh, and help out and are concerned for those people that we've met along the way in our journey. The second person that Paul mentions is Aristarchus. And uh, he was a Jewish believer. 
Acts 27.2 says that uh, he was from uh, Thessalonica. And uh, he's also a fellow prisoner of Paul. So these are guys that are not just kind of working with Paul, but some of them are actually um, under arrest with Paul in Rome. And um, he's also mentioned in, the, uh, in Colossians 4 verse 10. Uh, but he's also mentioned quite a lot in Acts. So in Acts 19 and 20, as Paul was going on his missionary journeys, uh, you'll see that Aristarchus crops up, and especially um, when they were in Ephesus, because he was one of the people that was seized in the riot of Ephesus. So here is a, a brother that hasn't deserted the gospel work. He's not deserted Paul, even though actually his life was at risk. And it's a wonderful example of somebody that even though he's been in danger, even though there's been hardship along the way, he has been faithful. He's been faithful to the gospel, not to give up, even though it could cost him his life, but also he's been faithful to Paul, that even though Paul is in prison and possibly awaiting execution, they don't know, he's still willing to side with Paul and to stand with Paul. And the other person that, we, uh, that is mentioned there is Luke. That might be a name that is a lot more familiar to you. Uh, I believe probably from Antioch. Uh, again, he's mentioned in the book of Colossians, Colossians 4.14. Paul calls him a beloved physician. So as far as we know, he was a doctor, whatever that looked like, uh, leeches or whatever it was back in those days. But he travelled also extensively with Paul. Uh, how do we know that? Well, from the book of Acts. And obviously, uh, we believe that he, he wrote the, the Gospel of Luke, but also uh, of Acts itself. And also what we know is that he didn't desert Paul either. Uh, in 2 Timothy 4.11, which is believed to be kind of Paul's last letter uh, before he died, it talks about Luke still being with him. So this is a guy that, I mean, I don't know how much doctors got paid back in those days, but possibly could have earned lots of money doing uh, whatever he was doing, but actually was so uh, caught up in the gospel and in, uh, in the work that was going on that stayed with Paul. And as a result of that, was able to write uh, the, the Gospel of Luke and Acts. So there is a, uh, an example of a brother who was faithful to the Gospel and to Paul himself, to the brother, right until the end. He didn't give up on them. He didn't go, well, you know, Paul, it's not going very well for Paul. You know, it's very easy for us to look back, isn't it, and go, oh, Paul's so amazing. But actually, when you think of the Apostle Paul and all that he went through and the fact that he ended up in prison, it would have been very easy, as happened, for people to turn their back on him and say, well, the Lord's not with him because he's ended up in prison. Oh, we don't want to side with him because it might be dangerous. You know, if we sort of, if we're in Paul's band, then maybe we'll end up in prison with him. But actually, Luke wasn't that person. He wasn't somebody that deserted and moved on. He stayed right till the end. <clears throat> the other person you'll see is mentioned there is Mark. And we believe that that is John Mark. And he was a Jewish believer from Jerusalem. He was Barnabas's cousin. And... Um, He's also mentioned in Colossians, in Colossians 4 verse 10, he specifically encourages the church in Colossae to welcome um, Mark. He says, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. And we know that the early church met in his mother's home in Jerusalem, that's Acts 12, uh, 12. And we also know that when Paul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem to deliver some money from Antioch, he went back with them to Antioch, and you'll see that that's in Acts 12 as well. And not only that, from Acts 15, we learn that he went on the first missionary journey. So when Mark and Barnabas uh, went on their first missionary journey to Cyprus, Barnabas took his cousin with him, John Mark. But we also know from the same chapter that he left 
halfway through and return back to Jerusalem. <clears throat> now, what we don't know is why, and it doesn't tell us. And uh, really, that's what kind of got me interested, in a sense, in, in this whole idea of when we let people down. Because we don't know why Mark left, but what we do know is it caused such a disagreement between um, Barnabas and um, uh, Paul that on their next missionary journey, there was a big disagreement as to whether he should be allowed to come. Now, why did he leave? You know, why do we end up maybe not fulfilling what we said we would or letting people down? Well, I think there's many reasons. One of them might be that the expectations were too high. You know, maybe there was a great expectation that he would, uh, you know, be a certain kind of person and then actually he really struggled with that. Maybe he was new to the faith and was just really kind of finding his feet. Maybe there was a character weakness in him. Maybe there was something about him that just couldn't handle that kind of work. Maybe he had wrong priorities. Maybe he just <clears throat> was really missing people back home and, um, or that, that, you know, was getting uh, tempted by things back home. Maybe he had just had different priorities. Maybe something had happened, maybe circumstances. We really don't know. There's lots of different reasons why he might have left. And it's clear from that, uh, to me anyway, that uh, Paul thought that he'd done something wrong. Paul thought that he wasn't to be trusted. Maybe the reason that he left the first time round was wrong. Or maybe there was something in his character that meant that he couldn't be trusted on the second journey. But it sounds like that Barnabas didn't feel the same. It sounded like that Barnabas thought that either, you know, there was a good reason why he left the first time round, or maybe he should have been given a, a second choice. But there was such a disagreement that actually uh, Paul and Barnabas parted company, and Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and went to Syria and Cilicia. So even though on the first missionary journey, Mark had left to go back to Jerusalem, and then there was this disagreement as to whether they should take him on a second one, Barnabas took him. So however Barnabas uh, felt about his cousin must have been very different from how Paul felt. Barnabas obviously thought that he was up to the task, that it was right that he should go, that whatever character or circumstance had left to him leaving the first time around wouldn't be repeated the second. But obviously Paul disagreed. And for me, it's just a wonderful example of even the greatest uh, men of God can have different opinions on things. And we don't know who was right and wrong, you know, we don't know enough details to kind of sit there and, and judge whether uh, Mark was right to leave in the first place and whether uh, Paul was right to, to have doubts about him or whether Barnabas was right. We don't know. But I think it's so encouraging that when things like that happen in our lives and in the church, it's not the end of the world. But actually, we have an incredible example that uh, it can happen in the best, to the best people for the best reasons. And actually, we can work through it. But actually, when we work through it, it's not just really easy. You know, it doesn't say, oh, well, they disagreed about uh, Mark, so they, they sort of had a bit of a chat and they sorted it out and they came to an agreement. No, it actually says that they fell out of it so much that they actually parted and separated for a while. And actually what we find is that Mark ended up with Peter back in Rome. Obviously, Mark knew Peter from his time in Jerusalem. Uh, and in 1 Peter 5.13, Peter calls Mark uh, his son. So there was obviously a deep... I don't know whether Peter had led him to the Lord or whether there was just such a close relationship there. And it's believed by the early church fathers that actually Mark wrote his gospel, that this was the same Mark that wrote the gospel of Mark, based upon Peter's um, recollections of his time with Jesus and obviously the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
But we also know that by the time that the book of Philemon and the letter to the Colossians was written, there'd been a reconciliation. And how encouraging is it to know that even though uh, Mark had let Paul down, Paul felt that he'd really uh, let them down by leaving the first time round, that Paul didn't trust him the second time round, and it had led to this disagreement between him and Barnabas, and they'd gone off. Even though there was all that water under the bridge, there was a reconciliation that happened by the grace of God. That meant actually when this letter was being written, when Paul was in prison, there was Mark with him. And actually also we know that in his second in prison, right at the end of his life, he asks for Mark to be brought there. 2 Timothy 4.11 says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Isn't that incredible about the grace of God, that even though there was that terrible situation and all that kind of ill feeling and disagreement, that actually God worked it together at the end of his life. Who was there? Mark, proving faithful right at the end. And finally, the last person that's mentioned there is Demas. And we don't know an awful lot uh, about him other than the fact that he is mentioned in Colossians again. Uh, Paul sends greetings to the church from him in Colossians 4.14. But what we do know, sadly, is that in 2 Timothy, right at the end of Paul's life, it seems as though uh, Demas had deserted Paul. (coughs) 2 Timothy 4, 9, 10 says, Make every effort to come to me quickly, because Demas, in his love of this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And that word deserted that Paul used is quite a harsh word. It's a very hurtful word that means to be abandoned, to be left in the lurch. So maybe Demas, we don't know, well, we know is a love of the world, but it seems as though for some reason he left and actually he wasn't there for Paul right at the end. And we don't know whether that was, uh, there was a reconciliation that took place. I hope there was. But it's interesting, isn't it, that as Paul is writing this book, encouraging Onesimus to reconcile with, um, sorry, encouraging Philemon to reconcile with Onesimus, here is a man surrounded by people that either let him down in the past or would let him down in the future. Here is a man that's writing from personal experience about what it means to, be, to feel let down, for people to hurt you and desert you. And actually, if you look at the Bible, it is full of examples. It's full of examples of faithful people who stood by uh, their friends, who were faithful to their calling, who completed things, who stuck by through thick and thin. But it's also full of honest accounts of people that didn't, of people that started something and couldn't finish it, of people that uh, um, became uh, friends or, or deserted their friends or disowned their friends. Psalm 55, 12 to 14 says, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked in the house of God in the throng. And in the psalm that we read earlier on, Psalm 41 verse 9, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And as we know, even Jesus was denied by Peter, his closest friend, doubted by his own family, rejected by his own people. John 1, 11, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Isaiah 53, 3, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Even the Lord Jesus knew what it meant to be let down. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked them to pray. What happened? They fell asleep. 
So the Bible is such a practical book. It's such an honest book, isn't it? And that's one of the reasons why I love it. It doesn't gloss over things and pretend that all the men of God were wonderful and that everything is going to be wonderful in this Christian life. Now, actually, it's very honest. <clears throat> and it seems that, you know, Paul is a great example of somebody that even though these difficult things happen and he, he was let down, he didn't let it um, cause him to become bitter and to distrust people. But actually, he was open to that reconciliation and to, to uh, have a real desire to see other people reconciled. You know, he didn't say, oh, well, you know, by me, and I understand, you know, now Onesimus has uh, as, as deserted you, you know, and that's it, just forget him. You know, forget all about him. No, he doesn't. He says, actually, as, as people of God, as people that are forgiven by God, we need to forgive and we need to be reconciled. If we've been reconciled to God, sinners though we were, how much more do we need to be reconciled to each other as well? And uh, Paul says in Galatians 6, 1, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. 2 Timothy 4, 16, at my first defence, no one stood with me, but all forsook me, may it not be charged against them. You know, the only way to avoid disappointment and hurt is to avoid fellowship altogether. And that's just not an option uh, in the Church of God. It's not an option just to sit in your own little corner uh, afraid that you might get hurt with people and have nothing else to do with people. So what is the application? What can we learn from this? Well, I think we can all learn (coughs) that we can be like uh, Paul's friends. One moment we can uh, be wonderfully faithful and uh, helpful. Um, The next minute... We're just failing and uh, failing to meet expectations and letting other people down. You know, even in my own life, I can see how I've been like those wonderful people that stood by Paul and finished the work and stayed till the end. And then the next minute, I seem to be uh, not meeting anybody's expectations, not even my own, not able to finish things, not able to do what I said I'd done. So actually, I think we can all learn from uh, this book that actually that says something about all of us. And maybe that is a weakness in our character. Maybe it is um, a limitation in the resources and the time that we have. We just feel so pressured by everything that we end up giving up things and not seeing them through. Maybe it's um, we have different priorities or wrong priorities even. Maybe I'm giving time uh, and putting things above other things. So there's lots of different reasons why that might happen. We so easily make mistakes. We so easily, or I am, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, Uh, So easily fearful, I so easily get distracted and lack focus. I so easily become lazy or love the things of this world, which can really cause you to doubt and uh, affects our witness and the work for the Lord. And it's so easy, isn't it, when we have those moments where we feel that we've failed, where we've not met our own expectations or we've let someone else down. It's so easy just to think, well, that's it. I've blown it. You know, even though I know the Lord and I know the gospel and I've been... Uh, serving him and I've, I've received the Holy Spirit, I've failed and that's it. But how much do we know from the Bible that it's never the end with the Lord, that there's always hope? You know, we all risk um, loving the world too much. You know, uh, Paul said that Demas uh, left because of his love of the world. 2 Timothy 2, verse 3 to 4, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him 
as a soldier. You know, that's something I aspire to, but it's not something that I achieve all the time. I'm not so focused that I avoid getting entangled in the things of this world. But we need to be on the lookout for it, don't we? I think that's one of the things as Christians, we're not going to be perfect. We're not going to be sort of uh, focused all of the time. But what we can do is keep a lookout, and we can keep a lookout for one another as well. We can have each other's backs. We really need to be on the lookout for idols, those things that we put as more important than Jesus or more important than his work. We need to um, be on the lookout for insecurities that lead us to try and people please, to be more interested in what other people might think than what God thinks, of getting the congratulations from others rather than the well done, good and faithful servant from the Lord. We have to be on the lookout for obsessions with pleasure or comfort seeking, And those habitual sins that give us that uh, sense of satisfaction or well-being for a moment, but ultimately uh, are harmful to our souls. How often do we lack the conviction that holiness will bring satisfaction? You know, it's one thing to turn our back on sin, but it's another to embrace holiness and to say, yes, this is the way that is going to satisfy my soul, not just in eternity, but now. It's so easy to find a pride in status or wealth or our abilities or success and how easy it is to become lazy and apathetic, Uh, especially I find as I get older, I get lazier. And really, we need to be on guard for these things because just like Demas, we can all uh, fall into that trap of a love of the world and we can look out for one another. But as I've already said, even if we do fall into these things, you know, Satan will be there accusing us and saying that that's the end, that you've blown it. But it's not, because God is so gracious. And just like he did with John Mark, so he can do with us. Just like he did with Peter when he denied Jesus, so he can do with us. So don't write yourself off if you make a mistake. Don't write anyone else off if they make a mistake. Rather, we need to support and encourage one another to put it right and to reconcile both to God and to our fellow brothers. So how do we deal with this being let down? What to... You know, it's inevitable that it's going to happen. How do we do that and move forward together? How do we make sure that when we do disagree and when things uh, go wrong or we make mistakes or we have disagreements, how do we make sure that actually we can reconcile and go forward together and that it doesn't split? You know, how sad it is when those disagreements lead to splits in the churches or to people that just don't speak to one another uh, for years and years. Well, I would say the first thing we need to do if we feel let down ourselves is that we need to ask, has the other person actually done something wrong or are they just done something different? Actually, have they sinned against us or have they just done something that we didn't expect or they've done it differently to how we would have liked them to do it? Because that's very different, isn't it? It's It's different from doing something wrong to doing something different. And the other question I think we need to ask is, were our expectations too high? Did we actually expect something from them that was inappropriate or that was too high for them. And actually, the reason that they've not met our expectations is more to do with us than it is to do with them because they were unfair in the first place. You see, we must have realistic expectations of each other. I'm not saying that we just allow each other just to, you know, um, do whatever and, uh, and be lazy. No, the Bible encourages that we, that we should encourage one another and exhort one another to good works. Yes, we should be encouraging each other to progress and get better, But equally, we need to humbly remember that no one is perfect, that actually we have to have a balanced view of each other, that we have strengths, we have weaknesses, and we have limitations. And especially for new believers and young people, 
You know, it's so easy just to place so much kind of burden and pressure on them. But actually, we need to give them time to develop their character, to develop their giftings, and also their faithfulness. And also, we must model it. If we want to see it in other people, we must model that dedication and faithfulness ourselves. You know, we can't moan at someone else for not finishing a task or for, not, for letting others down if we're doing the same ourselves. You know, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And if someone has let us down, it's not wrong to share how we feel about that. It doesn't mean that we have to kind of just brush it under the carpet and take a deep breath and, and say nothing. Yes, it's, it's, it's okay to share uh, what happened and our view of that and how it made us feel and the impact on us. But we have to do that in a way that is gracious. We have to do that in a way that tries to understand the other person and where they're coming from. But also we have to do it in a way that we don't hold it against them moving forward. Luke 17, 3 to 4 says, If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Luke 6, 28, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. 1 Peter 4, 8, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. We mustn't write people off but help them to learn from their mistakes and give them a second chance. You know, God is compassionate. How compassionate and gracious and patient is he with us? We should be the same with others. Psalm 103, 13 to 14 says, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Even when those closest to us hurt us, we need to remember that the Lord will care for us and sustain us even in those darkest days. Psalm 27.10, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. So what we can, can we say in conclusion, not just to these few verses, but kind of the whole book that we've been looking at? Well, Onesimus is a, an incredible example of somebody who wronged someone, who, who had a life that wasn't perfect before they became a Christian. But then the church got together, and even the leaders of the church got together to enable him to reconcile and to face those consequences, that the forgiveness that he'd received from the Lord, he also received from the church itself and was welcomed in. John Mark and Demas give us examples of Christians who failed even after they'd been born again, who'd let others down but found reconciliation forgiveness. Because the truth is we're all still human, even though we're born again and filled with the Spirit, we're still human. We'll make mistakes, we'll let God down, we'll let each other down, We'll even let ourselves down. You know, I don't know what expectations you have of yourself, but you're probably not going to meet them. And actually what we, and that's why we need to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. That's why we need together to practice forgiveness and reconciliation, because at one point, we're all going to need it. See, God will ultimately make us endure to the end. Isaiah 40, 30 to 31 says, Even the youth shall faint and be weary. The young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and also will do it. So at this beginning of this new year, May God help us to make every effort to honestly and lovingly address the hurts of the past, to help each other to find forgiveness 
and reconciliation. May you help us to encourage each other to serve the Lord, but not be surprised when we let each other down and fail to meet each other's expectations. May you help us to earnestly continue to build a united, mature and loving community of faith that honours Jesus. Amen.